Well, here we go this morning. Would you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 27, Acts 27. And I'll be honest with you this morning, as I am every week. (laughs) Somebody say amen to that. (laughs) When I read chapter 27, I thought, oh boy, what are we going to do with this? And then I realized that in our recent season of online-only church, we have been looking at different passages in an effort to keep us all encouraged and on uh, the path of staying the course through the midst of all that we're going through. And then as I continued to look at this more and more, I began to realize this is exactly what we need to hear. Acts chapter 27 is the perfect text for such a time as this. And we're going to continue in our encouragements regarding the season of American history and church history that we are now in as we rejoin Paul and company en route to Rome from Caesarea, where Paul had been a prisoner for some two years. Now, even though he had yet to begin the physical part of his journey, Paul had been on a long journey through the judicial system. If you remember first, he stood before the commander of the garrison at Caesarea Philippi, before whom Paul used his rights as a Roman citizen to his own advantage. And we should use our rights to our advantage as a church today. Amen? He next stood before Felix, then he stood before Festus, and then finally he stood before the king of the region, Herod Agrippa. And now this progression of standing before increasingly powerful men, at least in the world's eyes, is going to begin toward, uh, to move toward its final stop, where Paul eventually is going to stand before the most powerful man in the world, Caesar Nero. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover this morning, since there are 44 verses in our chapter. So let's look at where we left off so we can transition smoothly into our text. In chapter 26, verses 28 to 32, we're told that Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. There's no such thing as an almost Christian. You either is or you ain't, amen? And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. And when he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice And those who sat with them, and when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Now the first verse of our chapter this morning is going to tell us that after this statement, a decision was made for Paul to leave for Rome to stand before Caesar himself, that Caesar, under Roman law, might hear his case personally. And what follows is a very detailed uh, or specific account, if you will, of the journey that actually caused some commentators to wonder why would Luke go into such detail as he closed out the record of the Acts of the Apostles? Well, the obvious answer is the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. But the answer for our purposes this morning is going to be found in our title of this lengthy and detailed chapter. And it's going to teach us about, and here's our title, Storm Survival. Our title is Storm Survival. 
Now, we are all more than aware of the storms that we have and are currently encountering, and I will say it is not over. As I have said for the past couple of months, I do not believe the efforts of the governor of California are over to silence the church, and I do believe that more is coming to seek to uh, hinder us from meeting together as mandated by Scripture. And thus our time today is not about what to do when the next storm comes. Our time today is what to do as this storm continues. Now we have today calls for the defunding of police departments because of the actions of a few bad seeds among them. We have portions of American cities being ruled by anarchist thugs. We have riots and looting continuing. Murder rates are soaring in our country. Depression and suicide is skyrocketing. Government officials are warring. Businesses are closing. The stock market is vacillating. In the midst of all this, we need to remember Jesus is coming. Amen. Now, in Matthew 7, 24 to 27, Jesus gave this illustration concerning heeding his sayings, meaning his word. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and, what's the next word? Does them. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now there is a story or an illustration of two different places and peoples having the same shared experience with completely different outcomes. And the storm in Jesus' illustration is obviously figurative and related to the storms of life, the trials and tribulations that we will all have. Some survive them, others fall because of them. Now Paul's literal experience in a rather lengthy storm is going to give us some very practical lessons to apply when the storms beat on our houses, our hearts, our minds. So we need to learn in such a time as this about storm survival. Now we only had two points last Sunday. So that gave me one in the bank. So we have four this morning. So would you stand and read with me please the opening section of Acts 27 Verses 1 through 12 will be our initial read. Acts 27, 1 to 12. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adrinium, we put out to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. And when we had put out to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Sinaitis, the wind was not per permitting us to proceed. 
and we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised him, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. And Lord, we pray that this morning you would give us wisdom and strength from your word to live and face such a time as these without suffering shipwreck of our faith, without the loss of our confidence in you, and Lord, a boldness to speak the truth in love in these ever-darkening days. Teach us about storm survival this morning, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we have met other centurions in our journey through the book of Acts. We note that they are indeed a soldier, a captain of sorts, who has a charge over a detail of a hundred soldiers. But this man, Julius, that we're introduced to, is a member of the Imperial Guard, and thus he is selected to accompany Paul to Rome during his rather circuitous journey. Now, in verse 2, Luke includes himself as a traveling companion of Paul, as well as Aristarchus from Thessaloniki, and also he names some other prisoners. Now, these other prisoners were likely traveling to Rome for the purpose of execution, which Rome demanded that all of its cities supply such people in order to amuse the spectators who filled the arenas to watch people go to their deaths. Now, the sea, sea journey begins rather uneventfully as the Adramidium ship, uh, base ship makes its way northward to Sidon, which is in modern-day Lebanon. Now, while there, the centurion shows the recognition that Paul was not one who had been tried, found guilty, and sentenced to death because he gives him the favor of disembarking the ship, meeting friends in the city. Now, the journey thus far has been smooth but short, uh, just a short sail from Caesarea, which is in Israel, up to Sidon, which is, as we mentioned, in modern-day Lebanon. But when the ship put back out to sea, they had to take the northerly route, which allowed them to pass between Cyprus and Turkey. So the island could act as kind of a windbreak for them and lessen the uh, aggravation of the sea, so to speak, as they passed through. And they arrived in Myra, passing Cilicia, where Paul's hometown of Tarsus was located. And there they changed ships. We're told it's a ship from Alexandria. And thus it would be a grain ship, for Alexandria was Egypt, that is, the breadbasket for that particular region. Now, a typical Alexandrian ship was 140 feet long, 36 feet wide, and like a modern-day uh, barge or cargo ship, when it was filled with grain, it was tall enough to where the bottom portion of the hull would sink some 33 feet below the water, which tells us it indeed is a large ship able easily to house the 276 persons aboard that verse 37 will reveal to us. 
Now, the size of the ship is important because it gives us a hint as to the severity of the seas as the group made their way to Rome. Verse 7 tells us that Crete was then used to be a windbreak for the large ship as they made their way to a harbor called Fair Havens near Lycia, Crete. Now, remember Paul had mentioned in 2 Corinthians 11.25 that three times he was beaten with rods, once he was stoned, three times he was what? Shipwrecked. And he even said, I had to spend a day and a night floating in the deep of the sea. And Paul's recounting of his own experiences as a missionary to the Corinthians tells us that Paul, though not a sailor by trade or a sea captain by profession, he had spent a great deal of time on the water. Some say he had traveled several thousand miles, potentially as many as 4,000 miles via ship during his missionary travels. He tells the centurion because the fast or the day of atonement was passed, they were in a season where it wasn't safe to travel and it was risky at best and late September, October would be the calendar uh, season that they were in. By the time November arrived, no one was on the seas during that particular season of winter. Now the centurion listened to the captain and the owner of the ship instead of Paul and they set sail again on the Alexandrian grain ship. Now the decision was uh, made to try and at least in some way, the text says, make the 40-mile trip from Fairhaven to Phoenix and a harbor that was more suitable for spending the winter in. In other words, there was more going on there, and the sailors would rather port there than in Fairhaven, which was rather isolated. Now, the point we need to make regarding storm survival comes from what Paul said in verse 10. And in summary form, Paul, in essence, told the captain and the, the uh, uh, centurion, this trip is going to be a disaster. We're going to lose all the cargo, and everybody on board is going to die if we don't stay here. Now, obviously, Paul, having spent a day and the night in the deep, having been shipwrecked three times, was weighing in on Paul's perception of what awaited them. Now, the problem with Paul's statement was this. In Acts 23, 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him, Paul, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness where? At Rome. Jesus told Paul he was going to go to Rome long before he would leave for Rome. So where was Paul going to end up? In Rome. Now, we are in a season of storms right now. And like Paul's sea travels, there are more rough waters ahead for us, I believe. But here is what we need to remember first and foremost, based on what we just read about Paul's information before he departed and where we are and where things are going in our country and world. Listen this morning. Here's the first of four things I want you to recognize. We have all we need to endure the storms even before they begin. We have all we need to endure the storms even before they begin. Now, Paul is later going to get back on track in his thinking, being reminded by an angel of what he was told long before they ever boarded the ship. Now, in Luke 8, to 25, we're also told about a situation with Jesus and his disciples where we're told when it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples. 
And he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, the lake of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we are what? Perishing. And then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and there was calm. But he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Was Jesus with the twelve before they ever set sail? Did he get in the boat with them before they encountered the storm? So did they not have all they needed before they ever encountered the boisterous wind and the waves on the Sea of Galilee? Yes, they did. Was Jesus with us before the storms that we are now in? Is he with us now? Did he tell us in this life we'll have tribulation and that he would never leave us nor forsake us? So we have all we need before this ever even came upon us. And in Acts 20, 22 to 24, Paul said, Luke records, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Have we been told that we're going to end up in the new Jerusalem? Yes, we have. Can any size storm stop us from arriving there? Absolutely not. So often, however, we are like the twelve. Jesus is with us. He told us where we're going. And then the storms come and we act like he's not there. He is with us from beginning to end. And we have all we need before any storm of life approaches us. Listen this morning, church. We're going to make it. If we have him, we have what we need. And we have him before any storm arises. And it will prove itself to be true as the storm rages in our text and in our world today. In him... We are ready even for things we'd rather not go through. I'd rather our country wasn't in the shape it's in right now, wouldn't you? I'd rather that there was not rioting and looting. I would rather that there was not racism in our country. I would rather that things were completely different and wonderful and we were enjoying a thriving economy and fellowship together with one another. But we are in the midst of a storm and we are going to make it into the presence of the Lord and the fact is, maybe someday soon, maybe even today, he's going to take us home in a moment and twinkling of an eye. Now let's look at 13 to 22 and keep uh, traveling with the group. Now when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called the Eurocliden. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, we struck sail and so were driven. 
And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after a long abstinence from food, uh, from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of what? Of the ship. At least for the moment, the southerly wind seemed to confirm the rejection of Paul's counsel. And the ship set sail close to the Cretan coastline, again because of the time of year. But it wasn't long that the group learned the lesson that soft winds can indicate that big winds are coming. And the sailors of the region all knew about a Euroclidon. It's uh, just simply a term meaning the east wind. Many believe that winds such as these, storms such as these, originated from Mount Ida, the abode of Zeus. And therefore, this storm was swept down from Mount Ida and the domain of Zeus in order to bring upon them their destruction. And grain ships like the one from Alexandria were designed in such a manner that they could not sail into the wind. They had but a single massive flat sail in the forward portion of the ship that could only propel the, the uh, boat or ship forward when the wind was with it, but not against it. And Luke says, we, including himself in the task of bringing the lifeboat or the skiff, which usually trailed behind the ship, but in this particular situation, it could have broken away, could have filled with water and sunk while being drugged behind the main ship. And Luke says, we got it on board. So he is participating in the things that were happening for their survival, or the efforts, I should say. And the scene is a harrowing scene, to be sure. It was so frightening that the crew frapped the ship. And that means to take a series of ropes and intertwine them together and wrap them around the hole in order to keep the ship from breaking apart. They were in fear of the Sirtis Sands, which is a well-known place off the coast of Libya, it's uh, called the Gulf of Sirte today, and it's just west of Benghazi, a place we're all familiar with because of recent events that took place there. And it was a place that was notorious for causing shipwrecks. And this also gives us an idea of how far the ship was tossed by the winds that were blowing. And this is what the devil tries to do through the storms of life. He's trying to blow us off course. He's trying to get us to relinquish that which we have trusted in and believed in and relied on and clung to. And Proverbs 4, 25 to 26 gives us good counsel. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established or steadfast. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. In the midst of this storm, we need to stay focused on him. And after three days, things were getting so bad on board, the crew started throwing things overboard that were essential to the safe function of the ship. And after many days, they gave up all hope of surviving this storm. Now, Luke used the plural pronoun we when he mentioned pulling the skiff on board. 
and being exceedingly tempest-tossed. We were exceedingly tempest-tossed. We threw the ship's tackle or equipment overboard. And then he uses the pronoun us in verse 20. So we can assume that he was among the we who had no hope of surviving. And even Paul said, this is going to end in disaster. We're all going to die. Now, obviously, in antiquity, the sun and the stars were the GPS system of the day. It was how they would guide the ships. And they hadn't seen either for many days as the storm kept raging. Now, I'm sure that there are people, some maybe in the room, some online, certainly those around us and around the world are feeling like we haven't seen the sky in a while. We haven't had any smooth sailing for a while. Well, let me remind us all of our first point. We had what we needed to weather the storm before it ever started. The Lord is with us. He's going to get us through, and he will be with us through it all. And in Deuteronomy 31, 7 to 8, Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and, he and, shall, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. Somebody say amen. amen. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Can we appropriate that as our own today? Yes. Of course we can. The Lord doesn't change. Joshua 1.5, the Lord said to Joshua, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. This is repeated again in Hebrews 13, 5. And we need to remember that if he says he will not leave us, that means he's already with us. And therefore we can stand fast knowing he will not forsake us either in battle or in storm. Well, listen, <clears throat> here's what we need to remember also as we learn about storm survival. Listen this morning. Storms can be used to remind us of what is truly important. Storms can be used to remind us of what is truly important. Now, I'm sure that the crew would rather that the ship's tackle stayed on board, but lightening the ship was of greater importance to their survival. And there are some today who have had their ship lightened of late. And therefore, we need to stay focused on the Lord, as the Proverbs reminded us. Keep our eyes focused in front of us. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 also reminds us, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the list given in Hebrews 11, let us lay aside every what? Weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do you do that? Looking where? Right in front of you. Unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now listen, there are things that are not sin, but can be weights that storms can be used to get us to throw them overboard. I think if we look at the storm we're in now, I believe that for many churches and for many Christians, complacency and apathy have been thrown overboard. Many churches and Christians have begun to stand up and fight for our right to assemble. 
The Great Commission has come back into focus as our primary mission, and this storm has caused that to come about. And like on the ship, God took center stage in all of this, even as Paul tells them, you should have listened to me. And all this could have been averted. But even though you didn't, take heart. We're all going to make it. And only what matters least is not going to survive. And that's the ship. Let's keep reading this morning in 23 through 32. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Somebody say hallelujah or something there. Saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land, and they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they let, had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. Now, interesting scene here is we remember how this journey began with Paul saying, all will be lost, we're all going to die. So God sends Paul a reminder, delivered by an angel, that the Lord said he was going to Rome, he would stand before Caesar, and then the Lord adds pertinent information where he says, everybody on the ship, all 276 of them, are going to be spared. Now the text implies that not seeing the son of the stars continued after Paul told them that they would be spared, and after 14 days of this, the sailors sensed that they were near land and they dropped anchor. And since they were near land, some of the sailors decided to abandon ship, make a run for the shore in the lifeboat. And Paul told Julius and his soldiers that if these men escape, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut off the lifeboat from the sailors. Now, back to our last point. And storms being a means by which what's really important, taking center stage again, ships need tackle. Ships need lifeboats. But when the storm came, they became secondary to the saving of human lives, and they were thrown overboard. Then later, the last element of self-preservation was cut away, the skiff, and set adrift in the saving of the crew, centurion, prisoners, and Paul, Aristarchus, and Luke was left solely in the hands of God. Now in Psalm 55, 5 through 8, King David says, Fearlessness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. I think we'd all like to hasten our escape from this 
current storm that we are in or this series of storms. And I think we'd all like to hasten our escape from this world and go home to be with the Lord and that he would come and get us out of here. Now, our point comes from a single statement in a single verse, and that being verse 27, where Luke says they were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea. Now, remember, they lost control of the ship off the coast of Crete in the Mediterranean. They feared getting grounded in the Sirtis Sands off the coast of North Africa, hundreds of miles southwest of where they currently were. And Luke records they were driven up and down the Adriatic, which means they would have left the Mediterranean, passed through the Ionian Sea to get to the Adriatic, and then finally they end up on the island of Malta back in the Mediterranean again. Now this is important because with all the being driven back and forth, forwards and backwards, they ended up on Malta for the winter. And when the weather changed, they were in the perfect position to sail northward to Syracuse, then pass through the Straits of Messina and put them on the side of Italy back in the Mediterranean where they would make their northward passage to Rome through the Tyrrhenian Sea. Now here's what we need to glean as it pertains to storm survival and all that happened as this rudderless, sailless ship made its way through various oceans. Listen this morning. You ready for this? There are miracles in a storm other than stopping it. There are miracles in a storm other than stopping it. What do we all pray for first? Stop it. Lord, stop this storm. Bring it to an end. Get us out of here. Hasten our escape from the sea and the wind. And I'm sure we would all agree with King David in Psalm 55. I wish God would hasten the end of this storm. But listen, the end of a storm is not the only miraculous thing that can happen during a storm. Think about the storm of all storms. In Hebrews 11:7, we're reminded by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to what? Faith. Noah not only survived the greatest storm in the history of the world, it was a time of great miracles apart from when the rain and the wind ceased. Remember, God brought two kind of every uh, two of every kind of animal to the ark, and they walked on board willingly. God Himself closed the door of the ark when it was time for the storm to begin. And the fact that a handmade ship survived a storm unlike any other can only be attributed to the Lord guiding Noah, even as He guided this ship that was home to Paul for this series of days. Now, I'm sure we've all heard the saying, and rightfully so, sometimes God calms the storm, and sometimes he calms the saint in it. Both are equally miraculous, and we need him to calm us even now. Amen? God is doing miraculous things right now as this storm of unrest continues to rage in our world, and we don't want to miss what he's doing by only looking for and waiting for it to end. Somebody say, amen. amen. Now, let's finish off our chapter looking at 33 to 44. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued, with, continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment. This is for your survival, 
since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when we had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed the bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go of the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard and get to the land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, and so it was, and they all escaped safely to where? To land. Isn't that just like how life goes sometimes? There's been a huge storm. Finally, land is in sight. You look out, there's a beach there, which you could easily run the ship aground on, and you get stuck on something else. Something else happens at the last moment, right before it seems as though safety is at hand. Now, we need to remember about the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. He was about to fall on his sword because an earthquake had caused the chains to fall off the hands of all the prisoners. Remember, Paul called out to him, do not harm yourself, we are all here. And the Philippian jailer was going to take his own life because Roman law required that anyone who allowed a prisoner to escape would bear the punishment of that prisoner, and for him, it would have meant death. And therefore, the intended actions of the soldiers here tells us there were prisoners who had already been tried. There were prisoners who had been sentenced to death, and they were determined not to let them escape, lest they should be punished by Rome themselves. But Luke tells us when they came to a place where the Mediterranean and the Ionian seas met at Malta, they ran aground, and the centurion stopped the men because Paul was among the prisoners. He ordered them to swim or float on part of the wreckage, and they all made their way to shore just as the angel told Paul. All the crew, all the soldiers, and all the prisoners made it safely to shore. Now, another reminder from 1 Samuel 7, 10 through 11, another Old Testament reminder, I should say. Now, Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as beth Car. Then Samuel took up a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. And as the storm of the pandemic continues to this day the cultural and political wars are raging we need to remember the lord has helped us thus far he has been with us thus far and that means he will help us in whatever happens going forward and even as the philistines which in our day are the far left liberals are drawing near to battle against the church the lord is with us 
And thus far, he has been for us and he will continue to be that. Now, how many know and believe that God does things in surprising ways? He does things past finding out, which is simply a phrase that means he does things that we couldn't have thought of or even understand when they happen. And sometimes, listen, sometimes he allows what we think he should avert, and other times he blesses in ways that simply blow our minds. So here's our final takeaway regarding storm survival. Listen this morning. You ready? God can even use a shipwreck as a means of deliverance. God can even use a shipwreck as a means of deliverance. Now, there are people today who are experiencing things they never could have imagined. There are some today who have had things happen that they can't believe, and their life feels like a shipwreck right now. But God, he is with us. He is for us. Now, listen. Can I talk straight for a moment? Just say yes, because I'm going to. I believe the church has become too pastor-focused. We have a phrase today about celebrity pastors. Since when are pastors supposed to be celebrities? I believe the church today has become too facility-focused. Look at the grounds here. And instead of sanctuaries today, we have campuses. I believe the church today has become too entertainment-focused. I believe the church today has become too Felt needs focus, meeting the social requirements of society has become the main focus of many churches. And I believe that this storm that we are now in and this shipwreck has cut away the lifeboat of all those things that people are relying on today and has caused Jesus to become the main focus of the church once again because only he can help us. And even this shipwreck that we are now in, as you are scattered about the room, instead of meeting together collectively, even this God is using. Even this he is moving. In this he is moving. We have mentioned time and again in recent weeks how the gospel has spread through this time and people have been getting saved. I was blown away. I, I'm so always blessed to flip through our Facebook live comments and see how people are with us from all over the world at every single service. But this other, I believe it was Wednesday night or it may have been last Sunday, there was somebody watching from Afghanistan. Thank you, Jesus. There's a huge, if you were with us Wednesday night, there's a huge Great Awakening happening in Iran right now, and the church is growing faster in Iran than it is anywhere else in the world. And they are coming to faith through watching services like this and many others online, because there's certainly no public preaching in Iran. It is against Iranian law to convert from Islam to Christianity, and it carries a death penalty. So I don't think there's a whole lot of public churches and public speaking going on in Iran, but God is moving. He is moving all around the world. And many in our own country today are turning their focus back on God, even as there are many who are turning their back to God. A word about that this morning, especially in light of the division we now see present in the church. 
especially over this social justice issue that many have become enamored with, with the, within the church. In 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20, Paul said to, the, uh, said to Timothy this, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies pre- previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and good conscience, which some, having rejected, concerning the faith have, sh- have suffered what? Shipwreck, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I deliver to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. The beloved John said in 1 John 2, 18 to 19, Little children, it is the last hour, as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming, even now. Say even now. Even now, many, many Antichrists, meaning against Christ, have come, by which we know it is the last hour. Then he says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest or exposed that none of them were of us. Now listen, church, we're in a storm, but we're going to make it. And making it doesn't require the storm to stop. And you may feel like you're floating on a piece of the ship or treading water and swimming for the shore, but you're going to make it. And those who abandoned their faith because of the storm went out from us because they were never of us. And we need to remember our God is so great. He can even use a shipwreck as a means of deliverance. And I believe that he has delivered much of the church from the weights that were slowing us down from the Great Commission. And we need to remember there are miracles in the storm and not just God bringing it to an end. Storms can cause us to let go of weights and sins. And remember, since we have Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and we are kept in the Father's hands, we had everything we needed before this storm ever hit. And therefore, we can say with confidence the words of Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who, what? Love God who are the called according to his... Does God have a purpose for us? Of course he does. Go to the world and preach the gospel to all the people we like. To all the people we want to see in heaven. To every creature. We don't limit our preaching to those whom we agree with. As a matter of fact, God is in the business of saving his enemies, of which we were all before we came to Christ, according to Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And listen, this is all going to work together for good. Even our weird building thing, this is a weird season for us, collectively as an individual body. Amen? This is weird. I don't like it. But God's in it. And he's going to get us through it. And he's going to do something wonderful at the end of it. And maybe best of all, We don't need a building because we're going home before the end of July. I'm all for that. Amen? Is that possible? Well, of course it's possible. The rapture is imminent, always has been. It needs no signs to precede it. It comes suddenly and unannounced. And my calendar is open today and tomorrow and the day after. Even so, come quickly, meaning suddenly, Lord Jesus, somebody say, Amen. Father, we thank you that you're with us in the storms. Thank you that you're with us before the storms. Thank you that you're with us after the storms. 
And thank you, Lord, that there is nothing that we were without when we entered the storm. We had need, or all we had need of, we had in you. So, Lord, help us as you peel away things that are maybe wished for but unnecessary, things that we have deemed to be important but have no bearing on our eternal destiny or life. And help us, Lord, to keep our eyes focused on that which is in front of us, the joy that we have of the expectation of your glorious return. And Lord, I do pray for those who are struggling right now, who this storm has impacted them greatly. We know it matters to you. We know you care. And we know that you will direct, guide, and provide. But we also know that you do allow these things to come our way. So Lord, I pray that the shipwreck may not cause a shipwreck of faith, but rather that it would take them to a place where they look to you, trust in you, rely on and cling to you to get them through all this. We thank you that you are ever with us and you never leave us nor forsake us. Help us, Lord, in these last days to be the people of hope who proclaim your truth to a lost, dying, and ever-darkening world. Thank you for teaching us about storm survival this morning. Help us to apply these things and remember them as we make our way through this season of history. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And all God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen.